Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us. As we get set to broadcast every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and we stream that program live uh, at richarddugan.com, but we also have podcasts that are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and uh, Blueberry, and a bunch of other places folks are linking us to and uh, reposting these interviews, and we thank them for that. And we also have a link to our guests' website, which we will be giving you shortly, or I should say guests' websites, and so we encourage you to be ready to uh, go there and uh, check that out. And we also encourage you, if you like what we're doing and you'd like to support us financially, we have a PayPal and Patreon account for security reasons uh, to keep you and I safe. If you'd like to help us out, we are greatly appreciative of that. And um, you can do the PayPal and Patreon thing. And thank you, thank you, thank you for those who have helped and those who will help down the road. Today's program, I think you are going to thoroughly enjoy. I know I am. Because it's going to be an opportunity for us to uh, transcend a couple of generations here. Uh, I do vaguely remember, I say vaguely, because uh, both sets of grandparents passed probably when I was in my um, still uh, young years, uh, 8, 10, 12, and into uh, the late teen years. I think I lost my uh, grandmother uh, probably around 18 or 19 years of age. She was very close to me. The relationship between a grandfather and grandson can be very interesting and create some incredible, incredible work. And that's what we're going to talk about today with the work that a grandfather and grandson team, almost sounds like a vaudevillian team, uh, have written a book together. It's called When You Realize How Perfect Everything Is. It's a conversation about life between grandfather and grandson, and it is uh, co-written by a couple of seagulls. Not seagulls, seagulls, Bernie Siegel, MD, and Charlie Siegel. And I want to welcome the both of you to our program, Bernie. Thank you for being with us. Thank you very, very much. And you too, Thanks Charlie. For having us. Yeah. Thank you. I'm very excited about this because <clears throat> obviously there are so many different ways in which people can tell their stories. And a lot of people are not always sure that their story is really worth telling. Uh, and apparently Sacred Stories Publishing thought that your story was worth publishing because it's now available. And um, you have a quote in here that when you realize how perfect everything is, you will still you will tilt your head back and laugh at the sky. I don't know who wrote that. It was written by actually it's a very famous author called Anonymous. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he was Greek, possibly Greek, maybe Roman. But the one thing I find interesting is how the two of you, uh, I, I, you know, I can, I can certainly see the father and son relationship, the bonding and, and the wisdom. I mean, I quote my dad all the time. I mean, we weren't, you know, super, super close. We didn't go fishing or, or hunting or things of that nature. I actually twisted, uh, I turned the, you know, the old scenario, Bernie, about how where the father takes the son to his first baseball game. Well, I'm from Phoenix, and when the D-backs <clears throat> were uh, first initially uh, set up, I was given tickets through the radio station I was working for. I took my dad to a couple mm-hmm. of ball games, so that was kind of cool. But it's nice. the relationship between grandfather and grandson, uh, Bernie. Since uh, you were here long before Charlie was, when when Charlie came along, was there just that natural connection? 
with the grandson with Charlie? Uh, it just it just happened. Well, let me just say this: there was always something special. He knows this, but he has dimples, <laughs> and when he was a baby, when he would smile, it just lit up the room. So I used a slide of his in my lectures to get people to love that child. And I don't mean just Charlie. I mean themselves, you know, because I'd often say to people, get pictures of yourself as a baby, put them up around your house, walk around. And there are many people who said, my parents never took pictures of me. Um, and it's again, to try to get across to them that love. And I can tell you, and I really want to go on, because how this connection happened. I have a book out now, just about the same time as our book, No Endings, Only Beginnings. Oh, Bernie, Bernie. Loving and learning who you are. Bernie, I, I'm going to have to ask you to stop for just a second. I'm getting an extraneous sound right there. I'm hearing. Are you hearing that, Charlie? No, I'm not. I just heard it when you made it. No, I didn't. I mean, I'm just <laughs> sitting here and I'm hearing every time you pause, I'm hearing this unusual sound. Okay, let's go back and start with, uh, tell us about the picture that you show to the audience. I used to hold up pictures of Charlie when he was an infant. I fell in love with his dimples. So... When I showed a picture of him smiling, everybody in the audience reacted. And it was to get them to see themselves as that child. Because, again, it may sound funny to you, but when I would speak at graduations, I'd always ask somebody who had just had a baby to bring it. And I'd stand on the stage, hold the baby up, and all the audience would go, oh... Then I would take one of the students who's graduating and lift them up, and everybody burst out laughing. Mm. And I said, why are you laughing? You know, is he any different than that child? So Charlie has always been that image for me, you know, of that child, that inner child that we all need to love. And when I started to write a book uh, called No Endings, Only Beginnings, a really book about spirituality, my life, my experiences, things I wanted to get people to accept um, about life and the nature of life. I shared some of it with Charlie and began to get notes, emails back from him that impressed me. I shared some of my poetry that I had written and realized he had written poetry. I always say Charlie's 30 years ahead of me in the sense that I was right, making notes, recording, you know, troubles from the day, uh, and writing poetry about them. And it took me a long time to turn it from all my troubles into some of the wonderful things that happened. And I can say, in the years gone by, my wife was a big part of that, because when she found my journal, she told me there's nothing funny in it. <laughs> and and woke me up to the fact that I would tell them stories about crazy things that happened in the hospital, but they never got in my journal. Mm. And what has always impressed me about Charlie is 
you know, it's like he didn't have to suffer uh, <laughs> in order to become this creative, beautiful person. I mean, yes, we all have troubles, but, uh, you know, the degree to which he went through, I'd say, is nothing to what doctors feel like because the suicide rate in physicians is higher than the general population. Mm. So, yes, teenagers have a have a desire to commit suicide, they're going through troubles too. And I'd say Charlie was that exceptional person who used whatever he was feeling and became aware. And I'm going to read this to you because it's something Charlie wrote, and it's right smack on page one of my other book that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Begin your quest for truth. Where is God in all this? You ask yourself, head in your hands, water washing over your body from a shower or the rain or your tears, where is God in all this? The question echoes through the whole of the gymnasium as your peers laugh and the fear sets in. Where is God in all of this? It is a question we all ask at some point in our lives. Turn the question inward and let it reverberate through your heart, your mind, your soul, every fiber of your very being. Where is God in all of this? He is in your heart, in your breath, he is in every action you take and in every life you touch. Will you accept his presence here? Will you act as an agent of miracles today? Where is God in all of this? God is with me and I am with God. Repeat it, feel it, live it. And it said that comes from his unpublished poem, The Answer Lies Within. Now I can tell you, as an adult surgeon, I was asking myself those questions. Why would God make a world like this? I did a lot of children's surgery. Why does God make children with deformities and they need surgery? Why does God give a child cancer? I mean, none of it made sense to me. If I were a creator, I would have made anything perfect. But again, to get back to our word, you know, perfect, from a conversation with God, I realized if everything's perfect, it's meaningless. Mm. You know? Yeah. We wouldn't be writing books. You wouldn't be having a program. I wouldn't be talking to Charlie because nobody needs anything. And as God said to me, Bernie, a perfect world is not creation. It's a magic trick. <laughs> and so we're all here to live and learn. And how, you know, I don't know what Charlie was in a past life, but <laughs> he's got stuff in him that, it, it, you know, is there before it's supposed to be. You know, it's like a plant. You, you put a, the seed in the ground and you expect it to follow a certain uh, sequence of events until it blooms and blossoms. But he's popped out of the ground and bloomed and blossomed way ahead of time. Yeah. Well, now, and how long uh, had you been a surgeon? How long were you uh, practicing? From, well, I started training in the mid-1950s and went on till about, 1990, when I switched over to counseling people with cancer and other problems, uh, because as one patient said, and that's why, again, what's this book about? She said to me, I need to know how to live between office visits. That became a title of one of my books, too. She said, you're a nice guy. This is an exact quote. I feel better when I'm in the office with you, but I can't take you home with me. So I need to know how to live between office visits. And see, yeah. that seemed to me to be a way to relieve my pain. 
If I help people live, I didn't have to cure everything because I couldn't. Yeah. But I tell you, the key that I learned, and that's become scientific now, when you help people live, they don't die when they're supposed to. You know, you change your life, you change your chemistry. I mean, literally, Monday morning, we have more suicides, heart attacks, strokes, and illnesses. Because if you get up Monday, oh, God damn it, I got to go to work. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, your body will do you a favor. It'll get you good and sick, and you don't have to go to work. You got a day off now. Yeah. Now, you seem to be about the age of my father. Uh, he is, he, and, and again, I'm not asking you to tell me, my dad is going right. to be 89 in August. And so he was born in 1931. So he lived through, uh, along with my mother, who is th- only three years younger, they obviously as children lived through the depression. And then of course, World War One in their teens and so forth. And I've actually interviewed them on this program. And it was a very interesting program to talk yes, with them about life and and uh, the things that were important to them. Obviously, your grandson is very important to you, but what are some of the other elements that you have uh, brought into this relationship with Charlie that are important to you? And possibly that Charlie just, boom, he just gravitated to almost immediately. It wasn't something that you had to get. It's kind of like, okay, I want you to at least try the broccoli, okay, or the Brussels sprouts, okay, or the turnips. Uh, that maybe he just he just liked uh, these different things. I'm not speaking specifically of well, food here, but maybe music and and uh, classic. Yeah, let me interject. Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. I was an artist as a child. I liked drawing pictures, mm-hmm. and I became an artist as an adult, painting portraits of the family and pets and everybody, because it was my way of healing myself. That when I would be creating. I would lose track of time, lose all aches and pains, all unhappy emotions, and in a few hours I was back feeling good again. And I may say being in the operating room did the same thing for me when I was helping people, you know, and not standing there when you couldn't fix something and Mm -hmm. uh, grieving. But what I learned was from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she said that, what are you covering up? Because I drew a picture for her and used a white crayon on a white piece of paper. And she said, you added a layer. What are you covering up? And I learned also from my self-portrait. I painted myself as a surgeon with the, all the you know, cap, mask, and gown you wear in the operating room. And so you don't know it's me if you come in the house and look at the painting. And I had to learn to uncover. And I think Charlie never covered Some of it I know because Mm -hmm. we've talked so much that it was his mother helping him in meditations and other things. Um, So I think how he grew up with parents that, you know, didn't limit him, say that's crazy. So he had a freedom to be who he was. And for me, it was a struggle to find that. So, again, what I found 30 years older than he is, you know, in, in that phase of my life was what really struck me. But it was such a pleasure to talk to him. And so when I was talking about this book that I just recited his poem from, um, it, it was a pleasure because, you know, it's nice when somebody agrees with you. Let's put it that way, that I'd never hear him say, oh, Grandpa, that's crazy. 
you know, that's not going to make a difference. What does spirituality mean? Uh, you know, what does love mean? Um, he and I could talk and, as I say, discover our own poems, and they end up being put in a book because we were saying the same thing in our own poetry and getting it out there. So, as I say, what impressed I might use the hell out of me, (laughs) was his spirituality and how early in his life he achieved that wisdom that most other people don't achieve until some disaster occurs, and then they wake up to what life is about. I want to jump in real quick here because I want to bring Charlie into the mix. Uh, This is something that is, is, to me... Very, very fascinating uh, because this kind of a relationship between uh, the younger generation and the older generation, if you will, um, is is rather unique, is it not? I mean, from your perspective, would you say that uh, that that's the case? We've written these poems separately in our own lives and and from our own experiences, and then they've come together into something beautiful. It was it was really neat when he was asking me for some work for his new book, and um, then I was sharing some of mine, and he sent me a document of his poetry, and I was reading over his, and I noticed how many of our poems, they sync up like we're talking about the same thing and sharing the same kind of messages without knowing it and having written these poems years apart. There was like an unconscious conversation going on between us. Uh, so it's, it's really something special to get to share that with with him. So um, tell me about your earliest recollections, if you can, in regards, uh, and this is to you, Charlie, your earliest recollections of your grandfather and that connection that you were experiencing with him. When when did that kind of click for you? Um, so I, I, I've noticed, like, uh, so my mom started Wisdom of the Ages as a spiritual store and class center that she started when I was three. And um, my dad is his grandpa Bernie's youngest son. So my mom's his daughter-in-law and my grandparents on my mom's side taught spiritual development classes and stuff all through my mom's life. So her starting the store is a continuation of stuff she grew up with. And I was homeschooled and I did a lot of my schoolwork in the back of the store and just hearing her work with customers and teach meditation classes and stuff. I, I grew up with spirituality as an everyday thing to, to live with and to, to be an important part of my life. So as like I've grown up in that experience, then when I'd see I'd see Grandpa Bernie like several times a year, family get togethers and visiting and stuff. And we'd email a lot. And I noticed like this connection on on like looking at life and the bigger meanings of life and the spiritual messages going on that we shared this interest and this connection in it and kind of coming to it from a little bit different ways of getting there, different backgrounds. Um, but we noticed that connection. And uh, that's like since I was a little kid, my mom was saying the other day she remembers like before I can remember, uh, Grandpa Bernie would ask like meaningful questions to the grandchildren and kind of get like uh, looking for kids views on life and a profound take on things. And she said I would answer in like really thoughtful kind of stuff, like kind of like how he and I talk now. And so it's it's been like that all along. It's nice to share. Yeah. And you're yeah. and how old and, and you're how old, uh, Charlie? Twenty five. Uh, it's interesting how I remember my my early twenties and and into my and I headed towards my thirties. I remember most of it anyway. 
And um, there are times when I think, boy, I'd love to go back <laughs> and, and, and uh, see if I could do some different things. But then again, Bernie would probably agree here, uh, and I'll have you chime in, that um, regret is a, a wasted and useless emotion because you can't go back as much as science fiction movies and books and television would like to convince us that we can go back and change events in the past, even if we could go back. When we came forward again, we wouldn't be the people that we are before we change those events because it's those events that made us who we are. Is that something yeah. that, uh, that, that your grandfather, that Bernie has shared with you that, hey, whatever you do, own it, accept it. It is part of who you are because now it's part of the fabric. It's, so, it's Those are the threads of your life's quilt, so to speak. I, I see that I, I hear that a lot in his in his talks and stuff and stories he tells and also you're it's cool that you're actually going right into talking about what the title of our book mm-hmm. talks about that idea that like maybe those circumstances that you could wish you could go back and change or like make more perfect at a first glance they're really perfect in the way they are yeah. those, those the more challenging times in life can become what's perfect about it because they make us stronger or teach us lessons that make us who we are and mm. yeah it's, it's you're feeding right into that same message now bernie i remember uh, not too long ago well actually it was a long time ago probably 25 30 years ago for me i was working for a, a christian radio station and i remember hearing them talk quite often <clears throat> about uh, the admonition this is the way they put it the admonition be perfect in heaven be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect and I thought about that for a long, long time. And I pondered all the different scriptures, both Old and New Testament. And I'll tell you what came to me, and it had nothing to do with being right or wrong. Uh, it had nothing to do with being good or bad. Uh, we'll just go to the other dualistic extremes of left and right, up and down, and so forth. What I came to the conclusion was, be perfect, and if God is perfect... God is neither right or wrong, good or bad. He just is. I mean, doesn't it say in the Old Testament, I am that I am. Right. So I mean, to to just be, that's what perfection is all about, isn't it? Yeah, as I said, you're perfectly imperfect. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and you have to learn from experiences. And I call them labor pains. So you begin to change and become the person that you truly are meant to be. I mean, see, I grew up with parents who had their troubles. They taught me because of them. And part of what I would say to Charlie, you know, do what makes you happy. That's the key to life. Do what makes you happy. And it's not um, to, you know, just do what uh, will impress people, that kind of thing. But follow your heart. And I think that's, again, um, you know, what would come out of the Bible. Mm -hmm. But I also learned that religion is a problem Mm -hmm. because it has rules and regulations. And uh, I'm not going to get into specifics because it it just gets too upsetting. But, you know, when people begin (laughs) to feel God has given you cancer, so now you'll come back to church, you see. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, when I read some of the newspaper columns of well-known spiritual leaders, 
uh, it's amazing to me what they say to people just to increase their guilt and their blame. And, uh, you know, to me, God isn't a problem. God is a resource. Mm-hmm. And see, I've seen people in my office go home to die and come back with no cancer. What did you do? I left my troubles to God. Mm-hmm. That's a quote from a lady. Hmm. Tumor disappeared. And I talk to God every day. And God talks to me. Oh, and I always have to add from, uh, you know, if God talks to you, it's called schizophrenia. If you talk to God, it's called prayer from Lily Tomlin. <laughs> but I have heard voices my whole life talking to me yeah. and making yeah. profound differences in my life when I followed the voice and did what it told me to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried about where it comes from, whether it's just consciousness, uh, you know, or who's in charge of your dreams. As they say, God speaks in dreams and images. So when we stop thinking, and that's why going to sleep is such a, a gift. You stop thinking, and then God can talk to you. They through a prayer, through an image. And it isn't about being perfect if you're going to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a matter of fact, when the first time I went to heaven, I was impressed by the admission line. <laughs> and when you get to the, you know, to first in line, they say, all right, how do you want to be introduced to God? I heard this guy say, I'm a New York lawyer. And they said, come back when you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and the next person in line was this, you know, little guy, dressed sort of ragged clothing. But they said to him, how do you want to be introduced to God? And he said, tell God his son is here. And they said, okay, come on in. And it's knowing that we are God's children, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not to impress God with how much money I have or anything else. Uh, it's not about material things. I think, again, that's where Charlie and I connected. I used to do workshops in his uh, mom's store, um, you know, with cancer patients and others going through their trouble. Yeah. And we'd sit there and talk. Yeah. And if it wasn't over an hour away from my house, I would still be doing it. But I got tired of driving <laughs> I hear you. up and back. You know? I hear you. But it was such a gift to be there because, again, you could, see, when you this I've noticed because I do a lot of lecturing. You can walk into a synagogue or a church and feel warmth and love. Mm-hmm. And then another day you walk into one and it feels sterile. Mm. And I know it has so much to do with the clergy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Are they caring for people or just lecturing you know, about words in a book? And I think we have to remember it's about people. That's why also when, when in the Bible where God said God, to Adam, where are you? You know, people say, oh, he, he's thinking he's hiding. No, no. It, it's what we're writing about. Where are you? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of person are you? And that's, I think, the question Charlie and I are asking ourselves all the time. Yeah. Where are you? Who are you? What are you doing? And uh, to me, immortality is through love. I love the words of William Soroyan in many of his books, but he said, 
because the family, in, in one of his books, The Human Comedy, there's a death of one of the boys in the family during the World War II. And a friend says to his brother, the best part of a good man stays forever. You'll see him in the houses, in the streets, and all the things that are here out of love and for love. For love is immortal and makes all things immortal. Mm-hmm. And in the initial issue it said, but hate dies every minute. They took that sentence out, I'm told, in later books. But that's the part I learned, and I tell people, you want to live forever, love somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more on that. You know, uh, the thought occurred to me, you know, because I was joking with a dear friend of mine uh, who was, I considered her a mentor, and when I said that to her, she says, no, I don't want to be your mentor. I just want to be your friend. And I said, okay, we, we can do that. Uh, but uh, she was asking, you know, we were chatting away, and <clears throat> she uh, asked me for my address. And, uh, you know, who should I address this to that she was going to send me something? I says, well, uh, here's the here's the numerical address, street, and so on and so forth. Uh, and you can put at the top there, um, uh, don't put don't put this because the post office doesn't like this. Don't put Oracle. I like Oracle, but they don't like it when I have stuff sent to the Oracle at. Uh, and she got uh, she got the biggest laugh out of that. So I thought when I face God, that's what who who's who is wanting in uh, the Oracle. I have a feeling mm-hmm. he will send me back saying, come back when you uh, know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, Charlie, your grandfather. And I, I, Charlie, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Bernie, you probably, you may or may not agree with this, but I would venture Charlie would probably think that you're a pretty wise guy, a very, you have great wisdom that you have acquired over the many years of your existence on this planet, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you why. I learned it from Ashley Montague, the anthropologist, mm-hmm. who wrote a lot about love. I gave a lecture one day at a weekend workshop he and I were speaking at. And when I was done, he came over to me. He said, Bernie, I really love your lecture. And oh, I was feeling so good. And then he said, but you have to understand it's because I agree with you. (laughs) 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 And I think that's the problem in life today. You know, whether it's me talking about how people's feelings and emotions and faith affect their disease mm-hmm. or, you know, anything else, because doctors would argue with me, you know, that it's not scientific, it's yeah. not a good study, it's not this, it's not that. But I was telling them true stories about people. And I began to realize uh, that people were not afraid to talk to me because basically they said, we know you're not a normal doctor. So they would tell me stories about their life because I literally would ask them, how come you didn't die when you were supposed to? (laughs) And they always had a story about changing their life, becoming authentic. Um, You know, a lawyer becomes a violinist and doesn't die. Somebody gets a dog. Um, Somebody else says, I can't die till all my kids are married and out of the house. You know, it's about love and relationships. And the men, they do not live as long as the women. And they die sooner of the same diseases than women because, and these are quotes from my office, there's no point in living. I can't work anymore. Oh, wow. I said to the fellow, turn to the left. You'll see three good reasons, a wife and two children. 
you see. And I've kept women alive. One family, it got to be a joke, but the family loved me because the mother had 12 cats. <laughs> and they came in with her and her cancer. And, uh, you know, for me to get the treatment started, I said, look, um, this is what I want you to do. And they said, well, first we're going to clean the house and get rid of the cats because it stinks. We don't even visit her. I said, excuse me, you get rid of the cats, your mother's dead. What you do is go in and clean the house and keep it clean and tell your mother no one wants 12 cats. (laughs) Then she can't die. And for years afterward, the kids would come in the office. I mean, they're adults, but beaming at me and thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, you Mm -hmm. kept our mother alive. You give her a reason uh, that, yeah. to connect with. Yeah. So uh, to my uh, to my query to you, Charlie, do you consider your father to be a wise individual? And do you feel that by knowing him, and I'm sort of presupposing the answer to the question, uh, but by knowing him that maybe you have a step up that... Uh, they told me when I was 21 that I was wise beyond my years, and I thought, well, that won't last because eventually the wisdom will keep stop coming and all my age will keep going. Uh, but what about you? Do you consider yourself, Charlie, uh, because of the relationship with your grandfather and, and his wisdom, that maybe you're, you're maybe a little ahead of the game and that by the time you reach his age, that, boy, you'll just, you know, you'll... You'll be like the Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for the connection that, that we have and, and for being his grandson. And um, it, I see that the, the wisdom that he has and the way that we connect on it is, is definitely a piece of, of, of me and of what makes me who I am. And I've, like, I've been at a lot of his lectures and just seeing the, the way that uh, like he, he's told me sometimes he gets emails from people and he's responding to them, and then like after he's responded, he sees, like, oh, that person was, like, in Japan, that person was in Germany, mm-hmm. emailing me about my work. And seeing that global reach that he has to help people, uh, that's definitely inspiring for me because um, I've always wanted to be a, an author and, and had that kind of feeling in me already. And then to see, like, well, my own grandfather gets to have such a reach to everybody and help them so much that, um, that yeah, that, that inspiration and connection is a piece of, of all the stuff that I do, yeah. How, how many of his books have you read? Um, pretty much all of them. And, and, like, a lot of times in, like, bits and pieces here and there, and, and it's a lot of things that we've talked about over the years are, are in his book. So mm-hmm. then, we'll, like, we'll connect over that. And I, I released my first novel in 2017, and then our book together is my second book. Um, but I'm I'm headed in the direction of uh, spiritual fiction and fantasy kind of writing, and the stuff that has like a like a metaphoric message for helping people through what the characters are going through. Modern day mm-hmm. Aesop's fables, maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I had a. I, I, I well have still have a dear friend. His name is Doctor Will Lynn. Uh, he has his PhD in mythology, and we did mm. a series of twelve programs back in 2014, one a month, and it was called Mythosophia, exploring the depths of myth and wisdom. And we talked about the archetypes, and we talked about uh, Joseph Campbell. As a matter of fact, he's highly, very connected with that institute, with the foundation and so forth. And we still do, every once in a while, we will do an episode of uh, Tell Me Your Story, subtitle Mythosophia, and so forth. Mm. 
And I learned so much. I, I, it was amazing how much I recalled from school, although I never really took a course in mythology. I know that we probably addressed some of the myths, uh, maybe in history class or something like that. Um, but, Bernie, you, <clears throat> you deal not in myths, but in real-life stories of the people that you have, that have come into your life over the many years that you were practicing or just as a father, as a husband, as a doctor, or just, just as a guy living in the town you were living in. Um, and I'm sure that the majority of your books are based upon many of those stories and those lessons that you have learned. Uh, I, I know that you never get to a place where you say, I know it all, because my belief is that if you know it all, you're dead. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you really know the truth. Uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> you know... Um, I'm curious as to uh, your thoughts, uh, Bernie, about this, the, not just this life, but the preparation for the next. Whether it, all right. Whether I it know be... it all. <laughs> I do. I've been there. You've been there. But one of the words, you see why I love Soroyan, he has a story called The Young Man on the Flying Trapeze. Mm -hmm. It's a trapeze to heaven. And this young boy is, you know, homeless, dying. And the last line in the book, he lies down on a bed, becomes dreamless, unalive, perfect. And I know that for a fact. Mm -hmm. See, when you leave your body, you don't take your troubles with you. Tated limbs, they're no more, you know, part of you. You're complete again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, as you were mentioning, people. Um, yeah, I think I, you could compare Charlie to Gandhi. Um, the Dalai Lama, you know, that who are here to love and help. Yeah. And, that, and, and they, yeah, the people who didn't like what they were doing had trouble because their weapon was love. Mm. I mean, when the British were angry at Gandhi and he would do things to help and offer help to them, it was like, what are we going to do with this guy? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and let me... I. I didn't realize it was his quote. The book starts with Charlie and it ends with Gandhi. That ought to tell you something. Mm -hmm. I do dimly perceive that whilst everything around me is ever-changing, ever-dying, there is underlying all that change, a living power that is changeless, that holds all together, that creates, dissolves, and recreates. That informing power of spirit is God. And since nothing else that I see merely through the senses can or will persist, he alone is. And is the power benevolent or malevolent? I see it as purely benevolent, for I can see that in the midst of death, life persists. In the midst of untruth, truth persists. In the midst of darkness, light persists. Hence I gather that God is life, truth, light. He is love, he is the supreme good. And next to my desk... To quote this small angel called Charlie, these are his words on a calendar he made. My candle burns, not to dispel the darkness, but to put forth the light. Mm. That's now, Gandhi in short, you know, sentence. Yeah. But I think that, and let me also tell you this, why I am who I am. Mm -hmm. At age four, I had a near-death experience choking on a toy. I left my body. I was very disappointed that I didn't die. I mean, imagine being four years old and leaving your body. Mm. And the first words out of my mouth 
when my angel did a Heimlich maneuver on the kid lying on the bed and he started breathing again, or who did that? Because I had decided to be dead. And that gave me a feeling of God, though. You know, that you're not in charge of everything, so stop, you know, arguing and being upset and just get back to life again. I was very busy. I get a phone call. I said, I can't talk right now. I have an interview. Why are you living this life? Hmm. I went into a trance, saw myself with a sword in my hand, killing a horrible story that is part of this life, too. Hmm. Um, and I had to go for therapy. And what I really learned was about faith from it, because I said to uh, James Hillman, the Jungian therapist, my Lord called me in and said, I want you to kill the neighbor's daughter. I said, why don't I kill a father? He's the one who's the problem. No, I want you to kill his daughter. What if I don't? I'll kill you. Okay, I'll go. And I went and killed her. And it was horrible. I cried for hours. It, it was like being in a dream or watching yourself in a movie, is the way I put it to people, mm-hmm. when I lived that. And Hillman interrupted me. He said, stop, Bernie, why? Do you hear what you're saying? My Lord. I said, yes, the Lord of the castle. He said, no, Bernie, it's your Lord. And that really woke me up because I thought of Abraham, who I always questioned. How can you say to God, okay, I'll get rid of the kid? I mean, why didn't you say, take me, leave my kid alone? And if I were Jesus, I know what I would have done. I would have jumped off the cross and said to everybody, you see what I'm capable of? Now, will you people pay attention to what I'm telling you? (laughs) But it's out of their faith in the right Lord. And one more thing, so people understand, so much of this is going on at an unconscious level. Um, And that's why it's easy for me to be with Charlie, you know, that we both share that. Um, In the 1970s, when our boys, our children, I had a girl too, but the boys had their hair down to their shoulders in style then, I went and shaved my head. I mean, I had the barber do it. And it mortified the family. One more thing to be embarrassed about, their father. <laughs> but later on, reading Jung's work, I came across this sentence. The reason monks shave their head is to uncover their spirituality. Oh. And I thought, boy, if I'd been in therapy, maybe I would have understood what I needed to uncover. You know, it's the same thing Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said to me. What are you covering up? Yeah. And it, it was the same thing over and over again, whether it was a painting of myself covered, whether it was drawing a picture, whatever. My feelings, everything was getting covered up. And so it all came forth, and that's what changed my life. Well, I've been shaving my head for 19 years in solidarity of my wife, who at that time in 2001 was diagnosed with uh, cancer, went through surgery, chemo, uh, hair thinned. We were supposed to shave our heads together. Right. But she found out the day that we, we were to go to the salon to get our hair cut, or get our heads shaved, she found out that the chemo that they were going to be using was only going to thin her hair. All her hair was <laughs> not going to fall out, so right. she backed out. Well, bear in mind, I also had, I had long hair and a ponytail. Uh, and I, I went through with it, obviously, and, and I, I've loved it ever since. Uh, and then uh, about uh, eight years ago, I injured my right elbow, which is my dominant hand, which is what I use to shave with. I couldn't bend it. 
And so I ended up growing hair all over my head and my face. And finally, when I was able to bend it, I said, I got to shave my head because it looks terrible. But, you know, I haven't had a beard for about 30 years. I should see what that's going to look like. And I've had the beard ever since. Right. Uh, but covering, I love the uncovering of that one's, uh, what'd you say, what was it, spirituality? Yeah, he said it's their symbol of uncovering their spirituality. I love that, and I'm going to remember that uh, above all else. Before yeah, because we... we do so many things that we don't understand why we're doing them. Yeah. But it's yeah. that inner wisdom, that inner truth that's in there that we all need to listen to. Yeah. I want to tap into Charlie here for just a second. Now, you've heard, not just on this program, but I'm sure in other interviews together with uh, Bernie Siegel, your grandfather, but also just in day-to-day life and being with him and working on the book and so on and so forth. Uh, he Obviously, there's no question that he thinks very highly of you. I mean, just the praise and the comparisons that he, he gives uh, of you to other uh, notable spiritual individuals in our world— how does that make you feel? Um, I, I really appreciate it. It means a lot coming from him and and the connections that he's had through his life with a lot of different spiritual teachers and and himself, his own work and and the effect he's had with people. It yeah, it means a lot getting to hear that, and and it also means a lot that like I, I know he doesn't just say that stuff to people, and and it's because he's read my work. Like when I when I write, it's. We both discussed it, that it's kind of like it comes from another place in a way, like we get into another state of being when we go to write. And um, there's some of my poetry in our book that I sort of have like an idea floating around in my head for a few days, and then it feels ready to write, and the poetry happens with that idea. And there's a few other pieces, including in the, the poem that starts our book. At, I didn't have anything planned, and I just pick up a pen and a piece of paper and write the first thing that comes to my head. And it's it comes out as sometimes some of my best work. So then when, when Please, he reads that... Let me that, interrupt, okay? Yeah. Because there's an inner voice. I learned I have an angel. And we all, in a sense, have angels mm-hmm. speaking to us. But I have literally met mine in a meditation. So when people came up to me after I spoke lectures for a couple of hours, where I thought... I wasn't paying any attention to my notes, but it was so good. I just kept talking. <laughs> they came up and they said, you're better than usual. I've heard you before. <laughs> I was the first person one night. And the second one said, standing in front of you for the entire lecture was this man. So I drew his picture for you. And after I spoke at a Christian funeral, Alga Worrell, the healer, came up to me years ago and said, Bernie, are you Jewish? I said, what's the question for? I spoke at a Christian funeral. No, there's a rabbi standing next to you. And I realized that was my angel, my guide. He told me his name was George, but I didn't know why he was dressed the way he was. But as soon as he said he's a rabbi, everything was clear. You know, his spiritual and religious garments that he was wearing. Mm. Um, And so I don't deny any of these things. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've had an out-of-body, near-death experience. I've had a past life. I've had an angel appear, mm-hmm. and I didn't believe in those things, but they happened. I yeah. hear voices, and it, it's incredible. Um, you know, when you keep an open mind, don't try to explain, but just, uh, well, in my book, in this book, I talk about 
my definition of God is loving, intelligent, conscious energy. See, those things I felt are needed if you're going to be a creator. You need to love, you need intelligence, you need consciousness, and you need energy. Yeah. And so you put that all together, because on a practical level, I often say to people, how long do you think it would take you to create an eye? Oh. I mean, it's incredible what we're talking about. Yeah. You no know, life. Yeah. yeah. It can't be an accident. So there's intelligent, you know, life out there, an yeah. intelligent love, and it's doing all these things. Yeah. I joke. And one more mystical thing. Yes. Then <laughs> I'll try to behave myself. But <laughs> Never. One of my patients said to me, I've learned you're not a normal doctor. I'm a mystic, and I asked if there's any message from somebody who died. She gave me a message from a man named Frank, and I knew who it was. It was a, a doctor friend who had died a few days before. I called Frank's wife, and she screamed over the phone. I said, I didn't call to upset you. She said, you're not upsetting me. That's exactly what Frank always said when he left your cancer group. Hmm. And about 36 hours after my wife died, the phone rang again, and there's my friend Monica. And she said, Bernie, a lovely lady who was an opera singer got in touch with me to tell you that Bobby's fine, she's back with the family, everything's all right. And my wife's mother was a well-known opera singer. And there is mm. no way that Monica could know that. Mm. I mean, she is dead. It's not somebody Monica ever met. Yeah, uh, That's the part that makes me a believer I, I don't, you know, if something real happens, I believe it. Even if I can't explain it, my mind is open. And so when the people say, I can't be, I can't accept that, then they block their lives. Yeah. They're closing yeah. the lid, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. I had a, uh, a dear friend. I considered him a dear friend at the Christian station. He was one of those uh, individuals who had a very specific, uh, we'll call it doctrine, if you will, and uh, uh, or theology, I guess I should say, that he would only use what's referred to as the thus saith the Lord scriptures. In other words, if God was speaking in the Old Testament or if it was Jesus speaking in the New Testament. But the one thing that he left me with, and I'm sure he's on the other side now, uh, it was a phrase that has stayed with me ever since. And again, bear in mind, he was very dogmatic about the thus saith the Lord scriptures. He would be willing to discuss anything as long as you could use thus saith the Lord scriptures to support your premise. And the quote he left me with was this one. My mind is closed to the point that it remains open. And I thought, wow. And it was That's people cool. like that that I would meet who would blow my mind by going outside the nine dots of their, their, their doctrine and dogma that they were a part of the particular denomination. That's what continued and continues to give me hope that there is more. And speaking of more, I, I wanted to mention to you, and I want to go in this direction now, uh, since September 2019, I have been promoting 2020, the year of perfect vision, perfect inner vision. I am encouraging people to go within, especially right now when we have the time 
to go within, to listen to the still small voice, to trust our intuition, to get in touch with our higher self, our divine self, whatever you want to call it, not only to get direction, but also to find that place of peace and calm. I want to go to you first, Charlie. Hmm. Tell me if, if uh, and obviously you're open to discussing this, my father is a very private spiritual person he he's very he's rarely if ever shared with me a lot of what goes on inside him or you know and so forth but i'm curious what uh, do you have a, a, a rather shall we say consistent and continuous inner life yeah i i would say so like i've grown up meditating um and and doing what like energy clearing kind of meditation and stuff regularly so that's that's definitely an important part of who I am, and um, I went with kind of bridging that uh, question with your previous one. I was thinking of it too that a lot of when when Grandpa Bernie will um, say such nice things about my work and stuff for me, it's a lot of the, the meaning is that like it's about my work and my writing. That it's it's not so much like like me as a person. I like to live as a spiritual good person myself, but I feel like my work is. Uh, sort of beyond people, um, and and a lot of Grandpa Bernie's work in the same way, and a lot of great authors and and um, and similar artists, their work reaches to another place and comes from another place, and that that's where those compliments mean a lot. And um, I also connect it with a, a story I have that um, I went to Iceland in 2015 and 2016 for mm. photography, and my photography illustrates our book we wrote together. But the, when I went there in 2016, before going, I was uh, praying and, and hoping that I would get nice Northern Lights pictures to get to bring back and get to help people to connect with something beautiful in the world and connect with nature's wonder and, and the healing power of that. And the, the day that I was packing to leave for the airport, I got an email that they were rearranging the whole start of the trip because the Northern Lights were expected to be huge. So they, they took us out the first two nights of my trip and the northern lights over Iceland those first two nights made international headlines that they were the best northern lights they'd had in like 10 years in wow. Iceland. Wow. And I got some great pictures that are in our book. Mm. Um, but I, I see that I went with the purpose of wanting to help people and to take these pictures to, to bring to other people and help them. And I feel like that, that energy reaches out and on its own it connects and helps and, and sort of affects the world. But it's like if you think of God watching you, when you're doing stuff to help other people, you know, like your work just gets better, and there's there's certain things that happen that that make it that make things become more beautiful when you're doing it to help others. So yeah. that's like where a lot of my work comes in is that I want to help people with the, the lessons and the beauty that I've been given so far. Bernie, what about you and your inner life? Well, I wanted to say there are no coincidences. Something I used to hear from Elizabeth Kubler Ross all the time. And Jung said, the future is unconsciously prepared long in advance and therefore can be guessed by clairvoyance. So we are creating our futures, whether we understand and believe that or not. Mm -hmm. There are no coincidences. Um, I've had some, let me just take it aside for this. I got lost going to a lecture, following somebody's directions, which were totally wrong. <laughs> and I come down this basically dead-end street and... There's a car in front of me, and the license plate on the car said, I'm lost. Hmm. 
I said, wow. well, obviously they were sent for me. <laughs> and they told me how to get to the place I was going to go to. Um, another time I stopped, I asked people where this, you know, auditorium was. We don't know, but we know where the police station is. They'll tell you. I went to the police station. It was on the same street as the auditorium. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. You know, when those things happen, I call them spiritual flat tires. Because I always say, you get a flat tire, and you realize you're going to miss your plane. And when you get to the airport, you find out it crashed. Oh, and you oh, say, wow, geez. am I glad. You know, and you hang it up in your living room as a yeah. gift. Yeah, exactly. So I, I know that I am creating my future. And I believe that. Mm. And I don't blame things. I look at myself and the decisions I'm making. Yeah. Um, it, it uh, you know, I keep saying no coincidences. The only C I got in four years of college was in creative writing. Huh. And I've got close to, I don't know how many books now, 20 books. How did that happen? Yeah. Because I changed, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I stopped being intellectual, became spiritual, dealing with feelings. Yeah. Not thinking about how to write, but just letting it come from my heart and my experience. And then people connect with you, you know, like this book. Uh, it, it, it just is another part of me. But it came, as I say, because of my labor pains as a surgeon. Um, it brought forth what is within me. And that's what people have to do. Bring forth what is within you. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, what? I mean, I can't remember who said that. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you, you know, maybe it was Jesus, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and yeah. I'm always saying that to people. When you become what everybody else wants, you've lost your life. Yeah. But when somebody says to you, well, you've got a few months to live, then you say, well, then I'm not going to do what they want. <laughs> and you start living again. Yeah. And literally, in Survivor's, this simple question, you're asked to do a favor for a friend or family member you do not want to do, what do you tell them? You want to be a survivor, you say no. You don't spend your life being submissive and doing what everybody else wants. Right. You spend your life being an authentic person. That's it. And maybe that's a good description of Charlie and what impressed me, you know, because I wasn't expecting him to be who he is yeah. in the sense of all the things that started flowing out of him. Mm-hmm. And I knew that's a real person, you know, that I could be comfortable with and work with. Yeah. And how many of our poems are so alike? Because we're we're feeling the same thing in life and seeing the same thing in life. That's it's incredible. I will say that uh, I don't believe in coincidence either. Um, I do believe in coincidences, incidents that. Mm-hmm happen to coincide with one another that take place that people will call coincidence. But it's like, no, 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 no. This was, in a manner of speaking, sort of kind of thrown together. And I joke about this as far as my second wife uh, here uh, that I'm still with, and I plan to be with until the end because I promised I would never go through another divorce again. Never. I would make this sucker work uh, come hell or high water. But uh, one of the things that we used to joke about, and she was taken to Phoenix, where I was born and raised. Uh, she was taken there kicking and screaming by her husband. She didn't want to move, but, you know, they all went off and uh, so forth. And we started to talk about some of the places that we had been. And she, so we would start to talk about, oh, yeah, well, I went here on thus and such a date. She said, really? 
I was there on thus and such a date. And, mm-hmm. and, and then we, this would happen over and over again in our conversation, to, to which I would put it in this context. I would say, okay, uh, it sounds to me like the universe was saying, okay, let's bring them together. No, wait, 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 not yet, not yet. And then a little while later, let's bring them together. No, wait, wait, not, 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 not yet, not yet. And then eventually, you know, we, we were brought together. And, and uh, it was a coincidence. And we, we, we've traveled to uh, Ireland a couple of times, uh, which was I had never planned on that. It was quite remarkable. I wanted to mention, too, uh, 2020, the year of perfect vision, and the fact that uh, I think that your book plays right into that. When you realize how perfect everything is, I want to ask the two of you, and I'll start with you, Bernie. Is everything perfect today, the day we're speaking even with everything that's going on that seems to be, seems to be in turmoil? Well, two things. One is, our futures are known to us unconsciously. And they, as Jung said again, numbers have quantity and meaning. So what I see in people's drawings is, they're telling me the future or about their past. See? Uh, in, in the drawing I did for Elizabeth, she said, why is 11 important? I've been doing this work 11 months. Why did a reporter put one hand on a clock in the drawing she did for me, pointed at 12? She said, I don't like deadlines. I said, what happened when you were 12 years old? She was sexually abused and mm-hmm. it changed the whole interview. So... All that, our life is stored in our bodies. We can't forget that. Mm -hmm. What we do with it is the other issue. Now, what was your question to me? (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm curious as to how you see our current day situation in light of when you realize how perfect everything is. Is everything perfect? Well, I keep saying it's perfectly imperfect. Okay. All right. Now, my mother's way of saying this, well, I had a horrible day at school, everything went wrong. And this is all she would tell me. God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. Ma, I need your help. God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. <laughs> I used to go in my bedroom and talk to God. I'd say, God, my mother is no damn help. I don't know what's the matter with her. But I got to, you know, and... It, it sounds crazy, but, you know, she made me see the world differently, ultimately. Because then things would come up where something bad would happen and something good would happen because of it. And I'd say, oh, that's what my mother was always saying. Oh, maybe she's right. So it changed my view of the world to stop interpreting everything and let's see what happens. I mean, one true story, understand, you're fired from your job. You get in your car and you're driving home and your car breaks down. So you're standing in the street waving and somebody pulls over and says, what is it? Well, my car broke down and I need help. He says, all right, I'll drive you to the garage. Guy gets in the car and they're driving. He said, uh, where are you going? He said, oh, I just got fired from my job. And he tells him what his job was. And this guy who picks him up said, oh, I'm looking for somebody with that occupation at my business. So he's got a job. He gets his car fixed, and everything's all right. Mm -hmm. So what happened? He got fired. Isn't that wonderful? 
Yeah. You know, and I think the same thing. What comes from this event is up to us. Yes. And let me tell you, I wrote a letter to the editor when the epidemic first broke out about three things. The most important, in a sense, was to realize we're one family. We're all, you know, exposed to it. But most important, the whole message was everybody stay home, stay home, stay home. But Earth is our home. If we're not here acting as one family, we're going to kill ourselves. Mm. So again, even out of this coronavirus could become the best thing in the world if we all begin to relate to each other and stop seeing our differences and see our similarities. Yeah. 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 Well, I will tell you that when it started, um, uh, most of the people that I... um, uh, would connect with either on the phone or what have you. A lot of people, they were scared and this and that and the other. I loved what Richard London wrote to me not long ago. He said that there's a greater virus out there than the coronavirus, and it is ignorance, fear, and a uh, lack of faith. And right. one of the things that I, I, I don't know that I did this consciously, it was just there. I have been from the beginning to this moment optimistic Because we've been promoting, looking for those new ways of living, and now we are being pushed to find those new ways of living. And you guys, the two of you, have provided us with an opportunity to look in a new way at everything. I I don't believe that... um, First of all, I, I, I chuckle every time I hear the phrase, in these uncertain times, because I don't know that humanity has ever had certain times right okay for starters but then there's this other aspect uh i have struggled with the concept of duality struggled because the great ancient wisdom teachings which i'm sure you both have read basically tell us where we come from the one and where we're going to the one and i say then what in the hell are we doing here in this dualistic world and then it hit me when you let me tell you sure go ahead what God told me. Mm-hmm. First, I give you a test question. Mm-hmm. I have a photograph of one of the three of us, and you can't identify it all at all. What is it a picture of? Oh, wow. A picture of the three of us, and I can't identify? You can't identify who it is a photograph oh. of. Oh, that is a very good question. You have me stumped. Yeah, because you're not five years old. see what do the five-year-olds do immediately and some loving spiritual people Uh they point at their hearts we're all the same color inside yes when i say to god why did you make all these people well we need to identify each other if i made you all the same you wouldn't know who the hell you're having dinner with there you go you know yeah so our differences were for Recognition, not separation. Yes. And maybe yeah. when we're all exposed to the same evil, so to speak, mm-hmm. the same disease, mm-hmm. we'll realize, hey, we're all alike. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I have to say how much I have thoroughly enjoyed this, and I wish we could continue on because 
this has just been a wonderful conversation. And uh, uh, Charlie, I was going to go to you for that, but I would venture you would probably echo what your grandfather has said uh, in regards to uh, uh, this pandemic and and uh, looking at it from the perspective that we have. And I, like I said, I'm optimistic and it's a great thing. But what I want to do, first of all, is when we get a chance to start moving around again, I think it would be great to have the two of you in studio, if you're ever out here on the West Coast, to continue this conversation. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just it's because this is it's like family. I just really have enjoyed this. This has been such a blast. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that you can hear the podcast broadcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM and so forth. And also, if you'd like to support us, we have a PayPal and Patreon account that you can support us through. I have three final questions for each of you, and I'm going to alternate so that at least as I ask these questions, one of you will have an opportunity to think about it. The other one will have to jump right into it. So I'm going to start with you, Bernie. And that means, Charlie, you get a chance to think about your answer, <laughs> depending upon okay. how long, depending upon how long Bernie's answer is. The first question to you, Bernie. Who is Bernie Siegel? I would say, in many ways, when I get to heaven, I'd say, tell God his right arm is here. You know, I'm an instrument of the Lord, and I'm here to get things done practically and physically because I'm a body for God. Mm. So that's why I say I can be his right arm. Um, to help and to do those things, and to live the sermon. Mm -hmm. That's the way I put it. May I say, I was complimented very much one night by some people. I said, what are you complimenting me? Your wife and children are sitting in the audience, so you must be speaking the truth. Mm. In other words, that I'm living it, or I couldn't go home to them, uh, you know, if I'm not acting the way I'm telling people to act. Mm Mm-hmm. And Charlie, who is Charlie Siegel? Um, so I would say I'm a spiritual teacher and student at the same time. That I'm, I want to teach and help people to grow, but the, the wisdom that I'm teaching from, it's, it's my own facet of a, of a grand wisdom that we're all a part of. I would say like we're all a facet on the same gem or a piece of the same light. So when I'm, I'm teaching stuff, it's, I'm grateful to have learned it and my my other grandfather on my mom's side said, you always want to be learning till the day you die and being a student is the best thing you can be. Mm. So it's, um, I'm both of them at the same time. And so Charlie, I ask you question number two, giving Bernie an opportunity to think about his answer. What is it that you hope to, or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Um, I want to spread as much light as I can. That's what I would uh, answer in, in what you were talking about with, with the state of the world and things right now also that if you think of it like like when you light a candle if you have a really dark room and you light a candle it's the prettiest and you get the candlelight and we're in a, a darker more challenging time in the world right now and there is a time for like a worldwide grieving in a sense and my my first uh, book is actually on grief and working through the feelings of it in a spiritual way that that's that kind of grieving time is needed but it's also the perfect time for us to spread as much light as we possibly can and have it be as beautiful as it can be, that, that spreading of the light. So that's in both of our work that we're sharing together now and then in my work on its own, it's uh, spreading that peace and love and 
helping people to to know the light they have inside and and connect with what other people have too. And Bernie, what is it that you hope to achieve? Uh, what is it that you would like to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Well, what Charlie reminds me of, I don't know who said it, in love service, only the wounded soldier can serve, draw back. And that came from God knows where. I can't remember. But I think that's, you know, that we're all wounded, perfectly imperfect. But I want to work, as I said, for God. Mm-hmm. I pray every day. Um I talk to God all day um, when I take walks. And, and it, it's just to keep that connection and that strength because my beliefs and experience prove to me what the potential is. See? And the fact that everybody doesn't have a miracle, but the fact that somebody can go to Lourdes and have their cancer disappear shows us what's built into us. Mm-hmm. It may have nothing to do with the holy water. It may have to do with you and what you believe. So I know what our potential is, and I try to fulfill it. And I want to make a difference in life. I, I want to be a lover. I want to help people. Um, and uh, one child put it very well. She was suicidal and said to me, you're my CD. I said, what the hell are you talking about? I'm a CD. You're my chosen dad. Mm. So what I try to be is a loving father for people. Mm. And can I tell you, you have time for a quick story? Because I was a police surgeon in New Haven, and I got a phone call one day from one of the police who said, I'm committing suicide. And I said, Jimmy, if you commit suicide, I'll never talk to you again. And I hung up the phone. (laughs) Five minutes later, this former football player, policeman, came barging into our office. And I thought he was going to throw me out the window of the building, screaming at you, insensitive, uncaring, horrible. I got a gun in my mouth. I'm going to blow my brains out. And look what you said. And I said, did it ever occur to you you're not dead? Because I said that, <laughs> and he looked at me like, "Oh, you smart ass!" And, and then we became lifetime friends. Uh, but that's the feeling I have: yeah. you know, that if I can act in some way and help save someone's life and make them feel cared about and loved, then my life will have made a difference. Final question, Bernie: You get the uh, first shot. What is your Life's purpose. <laughs> Excuse me for laughing because I know some jokes with what is your purpose <laughs> and what people call their purpose. But anyway, my life's purpose is to make a difference, to be loving, to help people. And let me just say on a practical level, well, my father taught me this. You see, the three messages from my parents. Do what makes you happy. God is redirecting you. And what are material things for to make life easier for other people? So he was always giving away, literally, money and other things. And matter of fact, I got married while I was still in school, you know, before I graduated from medical school or anything else. And I said to my father, I'm really sorry. I mean, I know all this expense. I have no money. You're paying tuition. And and renting an apartment for us so we have a place to live. And he said, if I don't want to do it, I will say no. So don't feel bad. Mm -hmm. And that was a lesson he taught me. Mm -hmm. So I have lent people money, 
had my hotel room robbed, had a lot of things happen, go wrong, and I don't carry it around, if you know what I mean. Yeah. On my back. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping that those people benefited from it. Yeah. When I'm robbed, right before Christmas time, I thought, that's wonderful, because now he has money to buy his kids Christmas presents. You yeah. know, people look at me and say, what are you, nuts? Mm-hmm. You know, he's a criminal. He buys bought drugs. That's not my thought, because mm-hmm. of what my father taught me. Yeah. And this message from my father, too. When I broke a neighbor's toy, it was a fancy, real special thing, because I was jealous of him and what he had. My father went out and bought that toy, brought it home, handed it to me in the front yard and said, here, I knew you wanted one of these. <laughs> and he walked away. Yeah. That's how I was brought up, mm-hmm. that you can keep it. Yeah. Uh, as I held it, I said, you keep that, your head is going to explode yeah. in your heart. Yeah. So I got up and gave it you know, to that yeah. neighbor. Yeah. But that, when you grow up with that kind of parenting, you're a very different person. Yeah. So I want to parent the world in that same way. And we thank you for that. Brother. And Charlie, what is your life's purpose? I think the cool thing about all of our life's purposes is that we can we can figure it out as we go, and it can be many different things. I, I notice a lot as I as I write and I do my photography, and I'm also a professional martial artist too. Um, it's those things sound very different when you when you start looking at them, um, but at the core, it's all about growing to be the best I can be and helping as many people as I can to be the best they can be. And if part of it is like that best version is not really decided yet like maybe you you grow to be really good at at one thing and then you find something else you love and you keep growing in that direction so it's that that eternal student kind of idea um that i do have like like my writing and and helping people through the the healing aspect of the photography um but like i trained in one form of martial arts from four years old to 19 and i thought like this is what i'm going to do forever kind of thing i'm going to have a school in this and I connected so much more with another art that I had spent a little bit of time in that when I was 21, I switched over completely to a whole different style. Mm-hmm. And I'll put a white belt on again, and I'm leading some classes in that now and, and traveling training in it. And that, that speaks to me on such a deeper level, that, that other variety. So sometimes you find something else that, that is the right path for you at that time, but it, it's kind of still the same theme a lot of times mm-hmm. where, you know, yeah, helping others and, and being the best you can be. Absolutely. Well, Bernie and Charlie... summarize it in a sentence. If you meet people, you can make a difference. Absolutely, and mm-hmm. we do. Like we... And if you make everybody drive away smiling, <laughs> what a difference you'd make. Absolutely. Well, yeah. the two of you have made a big difference in my life, and I thank you for that, and I thank you for being on the program. And I also look forward to having you back on the program again in the not-too-distant future in whatever modality we, uh, we have uh, available to us uh, and uh, to talk more not only about this work but the work that you two are doing very exciting stuff when you realize how perfect everything is is the title of the book it is a conversation about life between grandfather and grandson and i am richard dugan and i thank you for listening to tell me your story new paradigms for a new world and until our next broadcast podcast love to lull